once again, let us turn in the scripture to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12, we'll begin reading at verse 4, and we shall read down through verse 17. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. For God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit now, may this word be living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. May it pierce us as we need to be pierced. May it cleanse us, may it humble us, and may it also encourage us. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Having encouraged us with the lives of other saints before us and having encouraged us by the example and acts of our Lord Jesus Christ, the author of Hebrews now calls us to be prepared for difficulties, suffering, persecution as believers. Now it is true, and we affirm this, 
that the Lord primarily uses his word to sanctify us and bring change in our lives. This, his primary tool. The Spirit of God in the child of God by the word of God makes us more like Christ. But it is not only by precept that the Lord teaches us. It's also by providence. The Lord does this work in us through suffering, persecution, trials, and difficulties. And we struggle with this, don't we? It's hard. The Puritan Richard Sibbs wrote a volume entitled The Soul's Conflict with Itself. And he was addressing what the Puritans termed the mumps and measles of the soul, the struggles of suffering, how to respond. And in this volume, he looks at David in the 42nd Psalm, Why are you cast down, my soul? Why so troubled within me? Hope thou in God. He's your strength, your shield. But he does make this assessment about David and about us. We see here in David passions intermingled with comforts. Now, passions for the Puritan here was not referencing to something sexual. He's talking about emotion. So that would be how we would use the term. We see here in David emotions intermingled with comforts and comforts with those passions or emotions. And what a bustling there is before David can get victory over his own heart. You have some, and I love this phrase, you have some short-spirited Christians. I wish I'd have thought of that. They're, they're not very deep yet. They don't have a lot of character built in. They're not real spiritual. They're, they struggle. He calls them short-spirited Christians. That if they're not comforted at the first, they think all labor with their hearts is in vain and thereupon give way to grief. You hear what he's saying? Something comes and it's a trial, it's a struggle, it's a difficulty, and we're upset because it isn't alleviated immediately. Come on, Lord. Well, I'm just overwhelmed, just the way it is. I quit. I give up. Wow. Does that not come home? I got to tell you, folks, it's been a week. One thing after another, after another, after another. I know some of you want, oh, tell us. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but it has been, and, and I don't know. I, I, well, I do. I, I'll admit it. I'm one of the slower kids for the Lord. I'm, I'm dense, thick. Ozarkian. Mule-headed. 
Of course, all week I'm pondering this sermon. I'm thinking, I'm working through it, I'm looking at it. And it, honestly, it wasn't until yesterday, all at once it was like shivers. Son, are you not watching and listening to what I'm telling you? Apparently not, Lord. Things that make us struggle, things that give us grief, are things we wish to run away from. We don't like trials. We don't like suffering. Now, I know no reasonable person likes it. Yeah, but you know, the Scripture talks about it in ways that we don't. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you suffer various trials. Come on, James, really? Really? Wrote so many good things. Had to write that too. Blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely. What, Jesus? Blessed? Come on. Mm. I don't want the discipline that comes with discipleship. That is my problem. And I dare say, it's your problem too. You see, discipline in the Christian's life should not be a surprise. Discipline in the Christian's life should not be a surprise. Consider these matters first. The context of discipline. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as, oh, what's the word, sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. From verses 4 to 11, that particular paragraph can only be seen rightly if you see it in this context of family. Parent, child, father, son. The word discipline occurs 10 times in that paragraph. And the word that's used is a family word. Now, let's acknowledge that discipline can be scary. It can be overwhelming. I, I, I have an older cousin. I know for some of you it's hard to imagine anybody older than me, and that's just because you're young and ignorant. But there are people older than me in my family. And I had a cousin who was all the way up to being a second grader whenever I was coming into kindergarten. And he explained something to me. I'd heard, you know, some stories here and there. But the principal at the grade school in Richland, now 
please understand, this is back in prehistoric days. Whenever corporal punishment was not only exercised at home, it was exercised at school. And so my cousin informed me that the principal at the school had a closet where he kept a variety of different belts and straps for disciplining kids. Freaked me out. So much so that 60 years hence, I remember the horrifically vivid dream I had of going to the principal's office. And he, with an evil, maniacal laugh, pulling out a rack full of different belts and straps to apply to me. At which point I awakened. I'm not sure it wasn't screaming. I blacked out, I think, after that. <laughs> and of course the whole thing was a con job. But we struggle, don't we, over being chastened by the Lord. What you have here is an exhortation from family to family about being family. So, what does he say? Well, keep your perspective. This looks back to the uh, earlier verses. Consider him, he says in verse 3. He says, look at Jesus. And, and then he, uh, wow, he tells you suffering and persecution is going to happen. Now, think about this. Suffering and persecution is part of the struggle against sin for us. The sins of others in persecuting, those who hate righteousness, those who attempt coercion for compromise, meets another sin problem, and that is the sin in your own heart in the suffering and persecution. You struggle with compromise. You, you struggle with complaining. And, and then he says something that just is so big brother, big sister. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You're not bleeding, are you? That, that, by the way, that wasn't, I mean, I had no older siblings, but my, my parents had some of that in them. Are you bleeding? No, get up. I'm bleeding. How bad? And then, of course, this is again back in an evil day. I'm so thankful many of you are spared this. The application afterwards of mercurochrome or methylate. For those of you unaware, it was also called the devil's spit. It was pink and it burned. In fact, the original injury was usually not as bad as the ostensible cure. But what the author of Hebrews is shouting at us is very plain, isn't it? You're not bleeding yet. What are you complaining about? And not just a minor injury. He said, you've not shed blood. He's saying, you're not, you're not dead. 
You've not been flogged for your faith. You've not been stoned for your faith. And he moves in the analogy as he, he talks about it. There's imagery here he talked about earlier running the race, and now it's more a picture of boxing. You've not resisted, and this is a very athletic word, to the point of shedding blood. So he doesn't only want you to keep your perspective, he wants you to consider your position. What is your position? And the position is six times the word son is used in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's not a reference here to babies or toddlers, but more adult children. And what he's saying to us is this discipline is proof that God loves us. Now, folks, the Scripture makes no secret of this. If you do not discipline your child, you don't love your child. God loves you too much to let you stay the way you are, and he's a better father, a better parent than you ever thought about being, and he will use discipline. Now, discipline is difficult. Hardship can be discipline. It's not just in persecution, although that can be part of it. But understand that in this hardship that God is still sovereign in your suffering and discipline. Hardship should be treated as training. Suffering, please hear this, we automatically do a default setting. If I am suffering, if something is bringing pain in my life, and I believe that God is at work in my life, then my default setting is I need to identify the specific sin for which I am being disciplined so I can repent of that sin and we stop this foolishness. But my friend, here's the reality. Sometimes the discipline isn't about a specific failure. It's about you being changed, discipled, brought to be made more like Christ. Some of you wear yourselves out trying to figure out why God is bringing suffering in your life. And I know because I've done it. And we'll, we'll get very cocky about, well, I know exactly why the Lord brought this in my life. It's because of this. Let me let you on a, a good idea, friend. I never once was disciplined by my parents for a specific situation that they didn't tell me what it was for. I don't think the Father will discipline you for a specific thing without letting you know exactly what's going on. What I'm saying to you is, it's not necessarily a bad instinct to think about what sin may have led to this. It's a better instinct to say, Lord, you're doing this to shape me and make me like Christ. And I've probably got more than one sin here. I'm sorry, are you all that holy? You only got one thing at a time the Lord needs to deal with you? I, I've got a list. He accomplishes innumerable things in us. So let me encourage you, quit beating yourself up trying to figure out a specific sin. This is part of discipline, and discipline has in it the idea of discipleship. See, we take the word discipline and we narrow it to mean chastisement, punishment, some 
outcome because of sin. That's not really true. If all you do in disciplining your children is punish them when they cross the line, you have failed. It is discipleship. You are teaching them both through chastening and painful things and through encouraging them and setting limitations, you are training them, in one sense, to be adults, right? That is a target, isn't it? My fear is that the current generations, we're not targeting to make adults anymore. Our whole idea of self-fulfillment and self-aggrandizement has led us to the place where we're no longer trying to raise mature adults. But for the Christian, it's not merely to rear them to adulthood, it's also to lead them to Christ. And that's more than mere punishment for failure. And folks, understand this. These things that come into our lives, we, we're not consulted. The Lord does not send the angel Gabriel to sit down with you and say, hey, let's talk. Here's what we think in heaven. The Lord thinks, the Father thinks, you need this, this, and this. And so we're thinking, you, you, here, I've got a list. Pick three. Pick two. Pick one. Pick, pick what's... No. It simply comes because he's at work. And folks, sometimes when he goes to work on us, the pain from it just can lead you to the place of saying, Lord, what are you doing? Right? I've, I've, lately, and I've mentioned this, I've even used some of the Tim Challies in his book, Seasons of Sorrow, chronicles the first year of life after his son unexpectedly died. And in one chapter, he talks about farmers who know when to plant, when to harvest. And here he makes a comparison. I can't tell you how much good this did my soul. My challenge is to trust God for my son like I trust the farmer for my food. It would be the height of folly, the height of conceit, the height of presumption for me to march into the farmer's field and tell him when to till, when to plant, when to sow, when to plow. This is his business, not mine. It is the farmer who has the wisdom to know these things, not me. And it would be downright blasphemous for me to demand that God cede to my will, my plan, my desires, my limited grasp of the facts. For matters of life and death fall within the jurisdiction of God, not man. They are the expertise of that father, not this father. Brothers and sisters, He is your Father. And He is doing this for your good. Now compare your experience here. Look at verse 9. It talks about we had earthly fathers who disciplined us. And the comparison He makes is twofold. First of all, he asks you to compare your attitude. We are to respect our earthly fathers, and so we should submit to our heavenly father. Submission to him is life. Listen to League Duncan. You see this point, the point, his point is to say this. Discipline is good, even though it's hard. And it always yields the fruit of true conformity to Christ. 
Now, these people were facing the discipline of persecution. Imagine that for a moment. The author of Hebrews is asking them to look at the way people treat them unfairly in this life as something that God has put into their experience in order to make them more like Christ. Do you see that? God is treating you as sons. And he's saying this in the context of persecution, that the people who loathe, hate, and despise you, who are trying to destroy you, God is using them, even in their persecution, to shape you and make you what he wants you to be. Now, if God can do that with enemies, you think maybe he can even do it with friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, and family? Hmm. He goes on to say, If that is the case in their circumstance, who or what has, brought, has God brought into your experience which you might be tempted to resent him for, but which is in fact simply his design to make you more like Jesus? Oh, family. <laughs> How many times has God brought a thing, a circumstance, a person into our life? that is making our life difficult. And we're mad. We're angry. We're a little sullen. Hmm. You see, the author of Hebrews is asking you to totally change your attitude about the things God brings into your experience, however painful, however unpleasant, however grief-filled, however sorrow-producing they are. He's asking you to look at those very things that hurt us the most emotionally, perhaps, but which are designed by him to build us up. And he's saying, I want you to look at them differently than you've ever looked before. Now, brothers and sisters, I get that. I never had much question when I was disciplined. In fact, it is fastened in my memory as securely as that dream, something that wasn't a dream, more of a living nightmare, that last time that I crossed the line enough for my father to chasten me. In his case, that involved his leather belt applied to my posterior repeatedly. To such an extent that I set a world record running from the garage back to my room and dancing in place for a little while. And folks, as God is my witness, I knew the moment I'd crossed the line that got me in trouble. I knew it the moment I heard heavy footsteps behind me. And the sound of that narrow leather belt whipping out of his jeans. Not saying, oh, that's awful, that's abuse. No, my friend, that was my father's love. I'm not saying that everybody has to do it that way. I'm simply saying I never doubted for a moment when my dad loved me. I was never thrilled about the outcome, by the way. And I still, the thing that stands in my mind as much as that moment is afterwards my father coming in my room and saying, son, I didn't want to do that. But I just told you, 
don't do this. And you just ignored me. You're, I, I can't. I love you, but I'm not going to let you get away with that. Our Heavenly Father sets this context for us. Our dads did this the best according to their limited knowledge. Our moms, our parents, whoever raised us, grandparents. God knows best. God does best for our good to share in His holiness. It is not pleasant at the time, but it produces righteousness. It changes my life. It produces peace. But only for those who actually are trained by it. You see, discipline is more than corrective punishment. It's teaching. So, my friends, here's the consideration, right? Discipline shouldn't be a surprise when you consider the context of discipline. It is father to child. But secondly, not only do you have this context, you're a child of God, he's at work in you, but there's another side, another facet of discipline. And this is what you and I are supposed to do. How we are to act. In a sense, you could say that the first paragraph is passive in this sense. The Lord acts on us. The Lord does things in us and to us to disciple us, to discipline us. But in the second portion, from verses 12 to 17, there is not just the context, but here's the commitment of discipline. What are you and I supposed to be doing? Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Well, here's your encouragement to finish well. Encourage yourself. When he talks about strengthening, it's the same word we get the word orthopedic from. There are times in the race, my friend, when you're tired and weary. There are times that require a personal, biblical pep talk. Right? You have to remind yourself. Colossians 3.1. How do you encourage yourself? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Romans 6.11. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christian, take time, take time, make the effort to encourage yourself. Lift those drooping hands. You see the picture? It's the guy who's running and he can't keep his arms up anymore. And the wee knees are weak and he's, okay, what do you got to, okay, pep talk. Maybe I got to go a little slower. I've got to keep moving. And not only that, I'm not only to encourage myself, I'm to encourage others, make straight paths for your feet. So that what's lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it no one falls, fails to excuse me, obtain the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, we are obligated to consider our own path, look at the path in front of us, and further, 
we are called here to be reminded we don't run alone. We're supposed to help others. The words here are vivid. Drooping hands and weak knees are typical of people in low spirits. They portray persons who have become incapable of action through sheer exhaustion. So exhort yourself, yes, but also exhort one another. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. My friends, never put a stumbling block in the way of others. Let me ask you, how good are you at encouraging other people? Well, I encourage them by pointing out where they're failing. Oh, aren't you a peach? Now, some of you know what I'm talking about here, right? There are some believers, when you see them, it's like, yes, I need some time with them. They're such an encouragement every single time. (laughs) And then there's others, it's like, uh, Oh, uh, I've got some place to be. Now, folks, I'm not saying it's ever, in, it's ever inappropriate, always inappropriate to point out problems. But here's the question. Are you an encouragement not only to yourself to run the race, but others with you to run the race? Do you help try to make straight paths for your feet because you're a little lame and you might fall over? So you do what you can to make the path better. You remind yourself of the truth. You walk in the truth. And you do everything you can to have peace with everyone. Encouraged to peace and holiness, verse 14. Peace, peace with God should lead to peace with others. Right? Satan is the author of division. Satan will use conflict in the body of Christ to hurt others in the race. Are you Satan's dupe? Are you hurting others by your words and your warfare? In other words, what I'm saying to you is you have to strive after. You have to give energy for peace. Strive for peace. Make every effort, Paul will say, for peace, unity of the Spirit. Bond of peace, holiness, not peace at any price. The fact is, some of you are too willing to fight, and some of you are unwilling to fight, and holiness is connected with peace as a pursuit. You and I need to fight for that. We've got to give ourselves to this pursuit of holiness. We are to be made like Christ. And so the prior text about discipline from the Lord, he's making us like Jesus. And the current text is you and I putting all our effort into it that we would be ready to be made like Christ. There's a caution here as well. See to it no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Things that hurt running the race. Well, one would be to miss the grace of God. That's such a strange statement, isn't it? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What a frightening thought. What are some ways to miss grace? A lack of honesty about sin. Your own sin. 
a fear that grace really isn't sufficient. A lack of graciousness to others. Unforgiving and arrogant. Lack of a steady diet of God's word. And I'll say this, lack of fellowship with others. Some of you are so narrow in your extension of your life with other people. It's no wonder you struggle in Christian living. You don't open your life up to anybody else to learn from others, to grow with others, to have connection with others. And see, and that's part of the beauty of the church. Some of you struggle with things I don't, and I can be an encouragement to you in those areas. Some of you are far better at things than I am, and that's an encouragement to me. We need one another. You see, it hurts us in the race when we miss grace. It hurts us when we have idolatries. That no root of bitterness spring up and causes trouble that by it many are defiled. This is actually directly out of Deuteronomy 29. Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Idolatry in the church is a bitter poison. And idolatry shows itself in the church in false doctrines, in tradition over truth, in my personal preference being the trump of anything happening. And it shows up in immorality. Hmm. Like Esau. Esau in rabbinical tradition was just simply considered an immoral man. The selling of his birthright is proof of his immorality. He was ruled by his appetites. I mean, the, the man was a dunce. An absolute spiritual dunce. In fact, I love the way Kent Hughes puts it. Esau was a living beer commercial. Fun food females. A hairy, steroid-made man with nothing on his mind but physical pleasure. That's pretty accurate. He didn't care about spiritual things. He didn't, he didn't care. I mean, how dense can this man be? He marries wives out of a pagan people and figures out, well, mom and dad didn't like that. I know I'll fix it. I'll go over here and marry some um, uh, of the Edomites. That'll fix everything. What? How dense can a man be? He was caught up in immorality. And do you see, and folks, you ought to tremble just a little bit here. Verse 17, you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he Sought it with tears. Now I misspoke earlier. He didn't get a wife out of the Edomites because the Edomites are his descendants. He found another pagan tribe and married from there and thought somehow that's going to solve the problem. But do you see the sad reality here? He found no chance to repent. 
My friend, physical appetites are dangerous if they're not controlled. If you'd run the race well, be encouraged and encouraging. Pursue peace, pursue holiness. Don't miss grace. Guard against idolatry. Guard against immorality. Recognize that your Father in heaven is intimately, extensively involved in your life. And whatever it is that's going on, whether good or bad as you see it, whether encouraging or a struggle, whatever that is, it is Him at work. It doesn't mean you absolve yourself of the responsibility of living by the Word in light of where you are and seeking to be obedient. It simply means, my friend, this. There are things over which you have no control. doesn't mean that God doesn't have control. And if He does, then whatever you're dealing with now, is his work for your sake because you're his child. Painful? Yes. Frustrating? You bet. Hard to endure? Indeed. He's treating you like a son. You belong to him. Be thankful for what he does. Let's pray. Father, there are some this morning that have heard this and it makes absolutely no sense to them because first of all, they are not yours. They have never turned from their sin. They've never repented. They've never trusted Christ. And my prayer now, Father, our prayer is that those this morning who are outside of Christ have been brought to conviction. They realize they're a sinner and that even now they're asking the Lord Jesus to save them and they're trusting him to do so. For those of us who are believers, Lord, how often we respond poorly to struggle and trial and difficulty. We forget that in all things, as Paul tells us, you work together for good to those whom you love and are called according to your purpose. We forget that besides the tool of precept, learning by your word, there is the tool of providence where you put us in situations where our sin is purged, our faith is built, our holiness is given greater energy. May we rejoice that you so work in us. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this hymn of Day by day, 
And with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond a measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me. He whose name is Counselor and Power, the protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days, your strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. says, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord. Oh, help me, Lord, when toil and trouble be deep, ere to take us from our Father's hand one by one. Days the moments fleeting till I reach the promised land. Lift your voices. Oh, help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand. One by one, the days, the moments fleeting to when, till I reach the promised land. Amen. To God be the glory. Uh, remind you that we need help with chairs and tables after the service concludes. Uh, Brother Tim, come lead us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we love you, and we know it's only by your grace and your love that we can say we love you. Heavenly Father, we know it's your gift of your Son is the only way that we can be called your sons and daughters. And we thank you this day for your love. And Lord, help us this day to be teachable. And Lord, we know that you'll never let us go. 
We thank you. Help us to glorify your name this day. In Jesus' name, amen.